0: Crusaders and welcome to another edition of Batman: The Animated Series podcast. I'm your host Alex Robson, and with me, as always, is my co-host, my brother, comic book artist and writer, and the Batman to my Robin. It's Mr. Will Robson. Say hello, Will.
1: Hello, everybody. How's it going, buddy? It's busy boy. I'm drawing Carnage in the Flash at the same time. Oh, I'm in Marvel. I'm in DC. I'm all over the place. Ah, I'm writing a book for IDW, and I have a Kickstarter at the same time. Ah! <laughs>
0: So it's going all right then. It's going well. Yeah, I've lost a few pounds. I'm on
1: a diet. So, you know, that's, that's a pretty good thing.
0: <laughs> you haven't seen daylight in a while. You're just <laughs> looking at your tablet all day that's long. That's right. Well, I suppose, first of all, do you want to plug your Kickstarter?
1: Of course I do. Let's spend 30 minutes doing that instead. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, my Kickstarter is going pretty well. We've had a lot of backers in the past couple of days. And I think right now we're sitting at 94% funded. So literally six more percent, I think it's around like 127 quid or something like that. And it's funded. Obviously, if people don't cancel at the last minute, which would be really lame. (laughs) Could you imagine like the last day, like, ah, yes, I'm fully funded. And like one of the big whales cancels their bid and it's like, no, (laughs) no. Oh my god, it's almost suck. like
0: they want to do it on purpose. So one time he told me to go fuck myself. Yeah. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna give him a, like a seven hundred dollar donation or pledge and then be like, just kidding at the last day. Man, that's that would be
1: dirty. Um <laughs> So yeah, six percent to I go. I take from you your dreams <laughs> <laughs> That's that's pretty good revenge. Like yeah. that would I would I don't know if I could even be mad. I'm like, wow, you really played that one out and you did it to perfection and yeah good job my dreams are (laughs) shattered and ruined (laughs) um yeah so it's going well um uh so we're coming down to the final week that you can actually pick up this product so if you haven't pledged already or you've been interested in doing it please go to kickstarter.com and search for outbreaks or go on any of my social media. You'll see that every single day I'm posting a link to the Kickstarter campaign. Uh, I know we've already had a few backers listen to this podcast and I cannot thank you enough. As I said, people have been amazing, super duper close to getting finally funded. And if it does get funded, that's not the end of the road. I have a ton of stretch, uh, stretch goals in mind to make the campaign a bit more interesting and give backers that have already backed free stuff. That's the point, is once the once the campaign gets funded, uh I'm committed to as we unlock new stretch goal tiers to give people that have paid money for the product free material on top of their dollar.
0: Very nice. Yeah, so everybody, go and check it out. Go to kickstarter.com, type in Outbreaks, you'll find his campaign there with all
1: the details. So if you don't know what the book's about, it is a zombie anthology comic, which means it's a bunch of different stories that all revolve around something to do with the undead. But the kind of the goal of this book is to do something a bit different. We're not trying to tell your bog standard survival zombie story. We're trying to switch it up and mash these different zombie stories with different genres and have a good time. Um, And the goal of this is to hopefully continue to get the book funded because I'm going to be launching issue two uh, probably in October, I think. Uh, And the goal is to, uh, to launch two or three of these a year and to make it a serialized, long running series that people can enjoy. It means a lot to me. Uh, My brother, of course, is also involved if we eventually get certain funding down the line. There's a few stories that he's written and also stories that we've co-written that we'd like to do together. And yeah, it's, it's literally my passion project. I love zombies and I have a lot to say about them and the genre.
0: Hell yeah. So head to Kickstarter right now, type in outbreaks, check it out, pledge if you can, share it if you can't pledge, or if you can pledge, still share it because sharing helps massively. We're down to the last week now, guys. So it would be an amazing feat if he can hit his goal. He's so close now. He's only, what, like a couple hundred away at this very
1: point? Yeah, I think right now it's like 120 or 170 away from being funded, like 6% left. That's it. 6%. It's so close.
0: It's amazing. So yeah final push and let's make this book a reality all right bud should we get into a capes capers scenario let's do it
2: showtime
3: the jokers escaped from Arkham asylum robin all work and no play you know it's gonna be one of those nights i don't have time for jokes
2: hey no problemo batman quiet come on let's do a pizza run
3: you don't touch anything say anything or do anything unless i tell you got it
2: relax you've had a busy day
1: okay
0: this week's cape capers has been written in by steve wickens so steve has said alfred sends batman and robin on a father-son boy scouts retreat to learn how to work together and earn badges but they discover that the Boy Scouts is actually run by the Scarecrow and must stop him from fear-gassing the entire Scout Brigade.
1: Okie dokie. Well, I love that it's father and son. I mean, <laughs> Batman already is like, mm, this really does not apply to me. I don't <laughs> so, have a child. So you must
3: do it for the boy. Are you always telling me to do things for the boy? <laughs> what about me? What about doing things for Bruce?
0: <laughs> okay, so this whole fighting crime and dressing up like a bat wasn't for you.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yes i know i'm right get in the car take the boy and go on this boy scouts retreat that i booked for you off you go shoot all right fine only because i love you alfred come
4: here give me a kiss no mm-hmm. oh, god your breath is terrible I uh, just ate some garlic nuts <laughs> and, a, and a, a salmon platter that was a bit off i know i made them
3: both
1: <laughs> <laughs> well it was a bit off alfred <laughs> all right come on robin let's we, we're going to go. Something that old boys I think your age need to go through, a camp experience. Oh, jeez, Batman, where are we going? We're going to camp, uh, crane, huh? Yeah? Oh, 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 oh. Batman, I think that has something to do with a villain. No, I think it's a crane, like the bird, you know, because it's all about animals and scouts and stuff like that, so.
4: Batman, you're so smart. <laughs>
1: Thank you, I'm just writing this on the fly, by the way. <laughs> uh,
4: camp, <laughs> camp crane, come on, let's go. Okay, you tried the Batmobile this time, baby. Well, yeah.
1: You, you killed the penguin last time. <laughs> no,
4: allegedly. <laughs> uh, yeah.
1: Oh, wait, he woke up, didn't he? Uh, I can't <laughs> keep up. You know, I get drunk at the end of the week, and I can't remember what happened the previous week. I'm also a little bit drunk right now.
4: <laughs> Just love batman being drunk just to get through the day with dealing with robin
3: i started early i knew what was coming
1: for today
0: in his (laughs) utility belt is just a load of different like little bottles of
3: (laughs)
1: booze (laughs) 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 yeah Uh, yeah. it's like the um batman returns belt as well like shoots to the front and it's like it's just a little (laughs) cocktail (laughs) bottle it cracks it open oh yeah
3: Mm. I love when it's Christmas time and everyone gives me these little bottles. I'm the only one that uses them. No one else ever uses these, but I do. <laughs> I've been saving them for years. For <laughs> exact moment. All right, we're here, Robin. Get out of the car.
4: Oh, jeez, Camp Queen. Oh, my God. We're going to learn how to build a fire. We're going to learn how to climb a tree. We're going to learn how to... Wait, wait,
1: wait, wait. You don't know how to climb. We climb buildings. What? Jeez,
4: Batman. I mean, I climb up your rope and I have to look at your butt the whole time. It's not as, It's not as much fun.
3: Especially when Alfred makes Mexican, you know what I'm saying?
4: <laughs> yeah, it sucks being downwind, Batman.
1: Like, you know, Batman's like, I purposely eat Mexican food <laughs> and like burritos and like refined baked beans just so he can rip off some Robin's face. And then Robin's like, uh, let me climb up first. He's like, fine, go ahead. And he's still ripping off. He's like,
4: oh no, the smell rises. The
1: smell rises? <laughs> the smell rises. <laughs> um anyway uh yes we'll learn how to build fires and we'll make s'mores we'll make uh birdhouses out of peanut butter that's the thing they do right i think i did that when i was like three
4: birdhouses out of peanut butter yeah, I did that
1: when I was in the Cub Scouts.
4: That sounds like something you do when you're stone Batman.
1: <laughs> you know, a lot of it is the same. It's like walking <laughs> through the woods and Hang looking on, at it. Hang on, stop this whole thing. Did they really make you do that? Yeah, I had to make a birdhouse out of peanut butter. Did they run out of fucking ideas
0: that day? Were they just like, uh, it was uh, we got peanut butter? <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: pine, pine cones and peanut butter. And I think the peanut butter hardened to make like a birdhouse that
4: sounds like a waste You're of right. peanut butter it is
1: funny though that you mentioned it that like those things that cub scouts do does sound like really stay like all right bro we're gonna go to the woods we're <laughs> gonna like have some spores, man so <laughs> we're gonna see some fucking like animals and,
3: bro I we're mean,
4: gonna like be one well with nature
3: we're gonna start a fire dude i brought the peanut butter you bring the pine cones to track <laughs> some stupid dope birds man <laughs> <laughs>
4: look over there batman it's it's the head of the scouts it's the it's the scout leader mr crane wait a minute mr crane are you sure it's not dr crane i think he's got a badge for that batman
1: oh what a doctorate it's a, his doctorate is a, just a badge that's <laughs> sewn on his shirt yeah, batman, that's how you get <laughs> everything in life <laughs> <laughs> all right well who is scarecrow going to
0: be then Oh, I so yeah, I don't think we have any pop stars left. I know you and I have have looked after the last episode and there's pop stars that are great, but when you just think about their voice outside of them singing, when you think about their speaking voice, it's really hard to try and nail down anything that's like quite eccentric or like a character. So I yeah. think we should I think we should move into celebrities but like
1: yeah, there's plenty of more Batman villains to go, and if we don't branch out now, we're gonna really pigeonhole ourselves.
0: Yeah, exactly. So we've got the Scarecrow and we've got celebrity impressions. So what celebrity do you think would work well with the Scarecrow?
1: Uh Macho Man Randy Savage. <laughs> okay. I'm gonna put the fear deep inside
3: you, brother. Yeah. This is Stupid like been a- tricked to thinking that this is for little boys, but only you will be the little boy in this scenario.
4: Yeah, man, I think we joined a cult. <laughs> Sweet. I love cults.
3: <laughs> this is my jam. I was once in this crazy cult. They were called, like, the League of Shadows. We did some really crazy shit. Like drugs, Bennett? Oh, speaking of drugs, brother, you're about to feel the fear toxin in your veins. <laughs>
4: No That's, thank you! Um, you don't have a
3: choice, brother. Shh. <laughs> Robert, Robin, your uh, ro- Whoa.
4: Batman, you yes,
3: see.
4: Batman, I'm at the carnival. That's my parents. Batman, I'm tripping balls.
3: Go <laughs> <laughs> on, tell me more about your parents. What's going on with them?
4: Batman, I'm at the carnival and people are cheering. And I I I can see my mom oh she's dead, Batman. And so is my, I lost my parents, Batman. It's, it's all coming back to me. I'm starting to realize that what I do is
3: kind of fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> Making you relive your trauma, brother. Oh, did you poop your pants yet?
4: It's, it's too far, Mr. Mister Scarecrow. You've gone too far. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I even got to reconsider my ways.
4: I thought I was going to start a fire, not start my childhood drummer all over again.
3: And Robin, you shit yourself like immediately. <laughs> You're covered in poo.
4: <laughs> well, Mister Scarecrow sounds like he's shitting himself all the time, Batman.
3: <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs>
4: Scarecrow's
3: got some mean hemorrhoids. He's gonna push through. <laughs> oh, <God.
4: laughs> Just imagining Macho Man, Rainy Savage, in that outfit, just on the toilet. Like, there's hay everywhere. <laughs> there's like a crow flying. My around.
3: ass looks like a bag of trail mix that I'm
4: squeezing <laughs> loose jello through, brother. I thought we were just going to eat trail mix in the woods, Mister Scarecrow. Oh, you don't want
3: to eat that trail mix, little boy.
4: <laughs> I'm so scared right now. <laughs> 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 That's
3: the point <laughs> This Are is you, Okay free. Robin You've been through Your trauma You've come out The other side I'm Irish now For some reason. <laughs> <laughs> That's part of his fear
4: <laughs> like, Oh yeah Oh no my fear Is I'm seriously Actually an Irish man Oh no <laughs> And it was just recently St. Patrick's Day Mr. Scarecrow They got fucking wasted Brother
3: <laughs> <laughs> You've been through Your trauma So you earn. I survived my trauma badge, brother. There you go.
4: I got my own badge. Oh my God. And it says R on it. I'm in the potato. That's right. R for trauma. I, I'm not sure that's how it's spelled, Mr.
0: Scarecrow. <laughs> well, but what I would love is if Batman, whilst this is all going on, Batman's just off on his own trip in the woods, like by himself. himself.
1: He's, like, he's like, mate, I live by fear every day. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, well, are you going to see anything else? Bats. Oh, I fucking live in a bat cave.
0: Like
3: I dress <laughs> up as a bat. I'm
1: good.
0: Bit of fear toxin. I'm high.
3: He's got a guitar. He's just like singing by the fire. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my parents are dead. <laughs> oh, daddy boy.
4: Well, I got my own badge, and once Batman comes out of his trip, we'll go home and I'll show Alfred, and he'll be so proud of me.
3: That's right, brother. Come back anytime. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
4: they just let him continue doing <laughs> <Yes>. this.
3: <laughs> oh. Our heart <our> for trauma.
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs>
4: <laughs>
3: I love that. Should we change it to Camp Fear, though? Ooh, Camp Fear, ooh, ooh. crane is ready. <laughs> just smoking a big blood. <laughs> all
0: right and that's batman and robin go to the boy scouts ooh, ooh, ooh,
3: ooh. Yeah.
0: <laughs> all right well if you enjoy this podcast please be sure to leave us a five star rating and a written review on whatever platform you're listening to us on right now as it helps us back grapple up the charts and attract both new listeners and guests Tell a friend about the pod or share it on your socials, as that's the fastest way to grow a podcast. Also, go follow us on social media at Batman TAS Pod, on Instagram, on TikTok, on Facebook, on YouTube, everywhere but Twitter, which is at Batman TAS Pod 1. And that's because why? Because we
1: are the number one Batman the Animated Series podcast.
0: You're goddamn right. And on our socials or in the description of this episode, you'll find our Linktree account, which includes a tip jar where you can gift us any amount of money you can afford, if you can afford to give it podcasts cost money and have become even harder to monetize these days and as we aren't billionaire playboy philanthropists any amount you can afford to give us is not necessary but always greatly appreciated shout out to the listener who just gave us our first tip
1: yes thank you very much
0: uh, of a pound really appreciate that that's like something that it means a lot to us it does
1: it actually does help so thank you very
0: much support like that is huge so thank you so much to that listener it was i think it was anonymous at least it didn't tell me who it was It was me, brother! (laughs) I'm rich! And finally, you can follow me everywhere at Chef Alex Robson, and you can follow Will on his socials. Stay up to date what he's working on now and get a glimpse into the day of a comic book artist, and writer, Will. Where can our listeners find
1: you? Anywhere at Robson Inc. on the internet, and that's Robson I-N-K, or on my website, speechcomics.com, where you can find my Kickstarter and read the first five pages of my new book, Outbreaks for Free.
0: Absolutely. And also, we just went on a podcast together, didn't we? We went on a podcast with the two guys, Ben and Eamon, on watching films on the toilet pod. So if you guys want to check that out, me and Will guest on that latest episode where we review Train to Busan. And we talk about our love for zombies. We talk about Will's Kickstarter. We talk about the movie, obviously. And then also what celebrity zombie we'd like chained up in our basement, which uh, had some funny results, I thought. That was good fun. So go check that out as well. Yep. All right. Our today's guest is Robert N. Skier. He is the writer of His Silicone Soul, What is Reality, and Luck Up. Will, unfortunately, could not make this interview due to all of the deadlines he has to meet. So it's just me and Robert. We talk so much about some really cool stuff. So you guys sit back and enjoy. hey crusaders please join me in welcoming a very special guest his credits include writing for shows such as gargoyles extreme ghostbusters the mummy transformers prime x-men the animated series superman the animated series spider-man the animated series and of course batman the animated series i don't think i've ever said animated series so many times in my life but please welcome robert
2: n skier how are you doing sir i'm doing terrific how about yourself
0: i'm great thanks for coming on the show it's nice to see you again as mentioned you've written for spider-man the animated series and all of our listeners know me and my brother also do a spider-man podcast and if you go back and check out episode 65 all the way back in august of 2020 robert came on that episode to talk about the sting of the scorpion and turning point but today we're going to be talking about batman and the three episodes that you penned for that show or co-wrote with marty eisenberg right
2: yes my then-writing partner, yes. We, uh, we were invited to write three episodes. I always preface, whenever I talk about Batman, the animated series, I always begin with the same spiel. And so here it is. That series is, to me, the definitive Batman. They distilled everything that made Batman wonderful into one single place, Because of when they did it and how they did it, they didn't feel the need to change it around and redefine things and do things like making Alfred a a secret agent and co-hero. They just did Batman. And they did, I'm going to say, around 95 episodes total. Uh, My partner and I were hired to write three. So whereas I am incredibly proud of the work that I did on the show, and I was really, really blessed to have gotten to contribute to it. I I can't claim any kind of uh, um, ownership over the show. So it's, you know, I refer to it as, you know, like, you know, my my series or, you know, whatever. There are people who are like the authors of that series. And it's kind of like they had an incredible party. And they invited us to uh, to, to come in, so um, I'm very grateful to the story editors I work with. I'm very grateful to Alan Burnett. I can't overclaim on Batman. I can just say I wrote three episodes that I thought came out fantastic on a series that presented us with the definitive take on Batman. You really did, and I'd, I'd love to talk about your time at this party
0: because those three episodes are his Silicon Soul, What Is Reality, and Lockup. So. Just like when we were chatting about Spidey, the same question I have for
2: all of our writer guests is, how did you get the gig
0: writing for Batman the Animated
2: Series? We were very lucky to be in the right place at just the right time. Marty was working for an executive named Sidney Iwanter, and I'm going to talk about Sydney for a second here. Sydney was an executive at Fox Kids. When Fox Kids was just starting, it was this incipient thing, and they were in offices, you know, like they, they were like there. They just had moved in, and it was just starting from the ground up. And uh, and Marty was invited. Well, he he was hired as uh, an office temp to be Sydney's uh, assistant, and he was reading scripts and looking at storyboards. And Sydney is an incredible guy, incredible human being. And he asked Marty, "So kid, what do you really want to do?" which is how he talks, right. <laughs> but he's really, he's got an incredible heart. And Marty's like, well, I want to write as well, kid, if you want to write, then you got to read a bunch of scripts. You got to look at these storyboards. You got to, you know, take a look at this stuff. And uh, he sounds like a, a real
0: J, real J Jenner Jameson type.
2: <laughs> well, he's, it's kind of like having a coach. He's, he's kind of like a football coach, no matter which kind of football you're talking about. So first series they wanted to do, they called Project X. It was called Project X because they didn't want Disney knowing that they were doing a series based on Peter Pan because of Peter Pan was theirs. They had a Peter Pan. It was definitive. They had a Tinkerbell. That's the only Tinkerbell ever. And they hired people from UCLA, professors. One of them was an animation professor named Dan McLaughlin, and one was a, um, a critical studies professor named Howard Suber. And Dan McLaughlin was there to make sure that things didn't look the same as Disney because Disney would be like, hey, wait, that's our Peter Pan, which is why Peter Pan wears brown as opposed to green. And the writer, Howard Suber was there to make sure that it's like, well, okay, you can't make the, the the crocodile big and jolly and happy because that's Disney's, that's original with Disney. So if we do that, Disney's going to be like, hey, you're taking our stuff. So um, they made sure that, that their... Peter Pan was going to be unimpeachable by Disney's attorneys. And so that was their way of going head to head. That was the shot across, you know, the the shot across the bow. So Sidney was in charge of that series. And then he was in charge of developing several other series, like Eat the Cat and things like that. But uh, Beetlejuice landed on his lap. And then after Beetlejuice... Uh, he was developing Batman and then X Men. So where Marty and I came into it was Marty was there working as an assistant, and he was reading all these Peter Pan scripts and looking at all the stuff. And we came up with three stories for Peter Pan, and they were incredible. They were just so so fantastic that uh, that Sydney passed on all of them. And uh, and I'm like, well, I guess we're not going to get to write the cartoons. So. You know, about a year later, six months later, sometime later, they were doing Beetlejuice and the Beetlejuice cartoon was on ABC. And it was just this silly little thing where, you know, you're in Peaceful Pines and, you know. uh, Oh, I
0: I remember, man. They made the animated series out of any movie or franchise film like Ace Ventura, Dumb and Dumber. A lot of Jim Carrey stuff, actually. Anything like that from the 90s, they would make into an animated series.
2: They did shit based on Mr. T.
0: Yeah, you wrote for the mask. You wrote for the mask, right? Like they even did a mask show,
2: another Jim Carrey movie. Yeah. So Marty's like, "Hey, uh, we're doing Beetlejuice. Do you do you want to you know come up with some ideas for Beetlejuice?" And I'm like, "No," <laughs> <laughs> because I was writing screenplays. I got a degree. I got a master's degree in screenwriting, and I was writing screenplays. And Marty got a master of professional writing from USC, and he was writing screenplays. And we liked writing together. We had very much the same sensibilities. And also we complemented each other, by which I mean, I really loved universal horror and I loved superheroes and I love all that kind of stuff. He really loved the Marx Brothers and comedy and things like that. So whereas our tastes were the same, we came from different directions so that we each, you know, just, we just, you know, whatever you wanted, the two of us were there. We could do it. So Marty's like, hey, let's write for... And I'm like, I don't want to write cartoons, okay? Cartoons suck. But meanwhile, like, Tiny Toons had just emerged. And The Simpsons had just emerged. And suddenly animation became interesting. And a couple of years before that, Ralph that, Bakshi had done a, a Mighty Mouse series that was just off the hook. Amazing.
0: I watched that as, as a kid. Know. That was, like, one of the first cartoons I ever watched. It was that great. Was the,
2: asked because it was just irreverent and weird and wacky and uh, and marty's like well yeah you i'm know, like like i i didn't i didn't uh you know i, I didn't come here to write shitty cartoons because i wasn't going to write the happy town the happy clowns of happy town or the moo cows of moo mesa or whatever the fuck and that's not that's not what i came out here to do and marty's like no 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 they want to do beetlejuice differently from the abc show they want to just do everything in that weird surreal world kind of like you know when Porky was in Wacky Land, they want to do it irreverent, like the old Warner Brothers cartoons. And so, I struck a deal with Marty. I said, "Listen, if we're gonna, if, if if we're just gonna write cartoons and waste the time of nine-year-olds thirty minutes at a time, I'm out. That's not what I was put on this earth to do. But if we're gonna write at the top of our intelligence, if we're gonna write to make each other laugh, if we're going to take this seriously." If we're going to take the writing as seriously as we took that screenplay that we wrote, if we're going to fight about things because they matter, then I'm in. Right. And uh, and, and and he's like, that's how we're going to do it. So and, and a lot of fighting ensued. But um, our, our gig was we were going to we were going to take this writing seriously. And so we uh, we pitched a couple of Beetlejuice episodes. It was very late in the series. We were lucky to get one or two. We wound up writing seven out of 65, wow. which was incredible. But we became like the go-to fix-it guys. You know, they give us episodes that they were going to kill. And every one of them got made because we went in and we uh, we fixed it. And so when that was done, we had just come off of Beetlejuice. And they're like, hey, kids, come on. talk. Let's go in and talk about Batman. And I turned to Marty and I go, listen, um, Beetlejuice was a comedy. And comedies like, you know, like your bailiwick, this is superheroes. This is comics. This is mine. So when we do Batman, okay, I need you to just step back. Let me take front chair because I live to do, I'm going to do Batman. And then we got the offer to do X-Men and I'm like, hey, Marty, uh, why don't you take Batman? <laughs>
0: <laughs> what? So with Batman then, with getting the gig, when you when you started writing did you read a lot of batman as well as a kid or was it solely x-men that you grew up on
2: oh my god i i was voracious on all this stuff i used to watch the batman cartoons when i was a kid like this filmation stuff all the really silly stuff they were doing in the 60s i watched adam west from the word go i read a lot of the comics i just i love batman just love batman i mean he's just great yeah um And we were invited to come in and talk about the show. And what happened first was we were we worked with three great story editors. There were there were there were only like there were three story editors in charge of Batman. And so Alan Burnett was the uber producer, and he hired Paul Dini. No, I think Paul Dini may have been there, you know, from the get go. But he brought in people like Michael Reeves, and he brought in Marty Pasco, and so we were invited to come in and talk to Marty. And Marty had story edited an episode called, If You're So Smart, Why Aren't You Rich? And it was a uh, is a Riddler story. The first one, yeah. It was the first one. And David Wise wrote it. And the two of them together came up with this. And David Wise would always, you know, like, like the two of them would hang out together. And, you know, they always talk about, you know, the world and, you know, whatever, and it's like... Oh, that sounds like so much conversation I want to hear, like if I was a fly on the wall. Because talking the about the one, world... But a refrain they would always have was, well, you know, if you're so smart, why aren't you rich? And Brilliant. so that became the episode. That became the episode title. But, so, but it introduced the Riddler as a computer criminal, which was a whole new dealio. Yeah, And so we were invited to come in and do a sequel to that episode. And so back then they had this this new thing called virtual reality. And I had just read about it in the LA times. And it was like, it was so new. Like, you know, people just didn't know about it. It was this whole kind of new thing.
0: Yeah. I mean, watching that episode now, you can see that technology in your own living room. But back then, I was watching it and I was like, this is way ahead of its time, you know, how immersive it was in the world. And the rules that you created in the VR world is actually quite prevalent to today. And the same rules apply to like what is real and what's not and how immersed you can be. I was I was really impressed at how ahead of its time the episode was.
2: What impressed me was we were like, okay, the Batman animated series is a very stylized universe, So how do you show them going from that stylized universe into a stylized universe and make people see that these are two different places and the way that they did that by just having the, uh, the monochromic, you know, red and, and, and black and having things squared off. Like you look at Batman's ears and they're squared off almost like Mm. they're, you know, computer pixelated or something. Anyway, um, they did the most incredible job creating this, 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 uh, this computer world. But, um, what we did was we pitched, a virtual reality story it's like you know why doesn't uh there's a computer criminal why doesn't he trap batman in virtual reality mm. and uh, and you know make that the story i loved how also you put in he wanted to
0: erase the history of edward Nigma ever existing because of being like a, an ashamed like fired employee and like all of the history that went into his character that is like a private matter to him right he's like no 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 that's not i want that to be a riddle like i want my own history to be a riddle so i love that as like he sends these goons to go and like destroy the the uh the hard copies at like the dmv but he has to leave clues for batman because he can't help but like be addicted to the riddle of like as much as i can get away with this i kind of want to have some fun and play a game with batman whilst i do it which i love it's so riddler
2: he needs to have a challenge there was a movie called little man tate about a, a math savant that uh, Jody Foster directed. And there was a character in it called the um, the Math Magician. And he was like, Mr. Math. And, you know, they, they would give him math problems and he would just stand there in a cape and a top hat in front of the room. And he would just answer these questions. And finally he goes, won't somebody challenge me? And then little man Tate comes up and kicks his ass. And suddenly he's like... Oh, um, I, I'm not happy now. So, <laughs> but that—that that was Marty's take on the Riddler. He's like, "Won't somebody challenge me?" And so—and so that's the thing. The reason he lives, he gives the clues, is because he knows he's unbeatable, and he's basically saying, "Hey, yo, cops! Hey, yo, Batman! You know, I'm—I can outthink everybody." And. I'm the kind of person who stays up at night thinking about things that most ordinary people don't think about. And one night I was up and I was thinking, like this is years before the Batman animated series, like, you know, here's the Riddler. What do you do with the Riddler to punish him? You can't put him in Arkham Asylum because he's not crazy. He's a career criminal, that's different. So you put him in jail, you put him in a prison. No, he's a puzzle master. A cell is a puzzle. He'll get out anytime he wants to. He loved being in a prison. You know, the whole Shawshank Redemption thing? That's Saturday afternoon for him. Yeah. His whole Delia would be like, you know, well, how many times can I escape and come back without him even even noticing? So how do you punish the Riddler? And the way that you punish him is you take away the only thing that matters to him, and that's his intellect. So at the end of the episode, we turned his brain into tapioca, because that's how you punish the Riddler. I want to make this clear. Marty was first chair in that episode. It's very much his victory. It's very much his episode. I give credit where credit is due, but to my discredit, I also take credit where credit is due. So the idea of Edward Nigma getting rid of his existence and all the computers and getting rid of the hard copies, that was taken from a screenplay that I had written. I wrote a computer screenplay about a a missing computer hacker and a private investigator who's going to to go after him. And at one point, the hacker decides, okay, I'm going to throw this guy off my trail. I'm going to make him cease to exist. And so suddenly his driver's license is invalid. His credit cards don't work. Um, Everything about him, if you try to find him online, is gone. And so, you know, his, his, his existence was erased. And so I figured, you know, well, the Riddler would probably want to make himself the ultimate riddle, the ultimate enigma. So he would want to erase any evidence that he exists so that he becomes this this kind of phantom person, this this sort of human riddle, this sort of human mystery. He'd need to get rid of the hard copies too. So he would go to places like the DMV and get rid of the hard copies. And so um, Marty realized DMV are all Roman numerals. And so he came up with riddles involving Roman numerals. By the way, all of the the riddles, every riddle was Marty's. I don't do riddles. Okay, so I could good to know. Never write a Riddler episode on my own ever, because I can't do the riddle stuff. And the riddle stuff, Marty's made out of that stuff. His his uh, his his whole thinking, his whole he, he. And so he came up with these great riddles. Um, also. All the actions that happened, whereas I said, "Hey, you know, he goes down to the DMV and okay, so all the stuff going on outside with the computerized cars trying to run down Batman and stuff, all those action sequences and everything, all Marty, all the shit going on in the, uh, the 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 cyber world, that's all Marty." Um, so, you know, I mean, I I can take credit for some fundamental things because the two of us sat down and structured the story together, sure, and cannibalized a screenplay that I wrote, but. That episode is very much Marty's mystery. And if you enjoy that episode, uh, it's because of what Marty brought to it. I mean, yeah, but, we, I mean, the, oh, bo- the bones of your screenplay
0: are in there, as you said. And that's that's a fundamental part of the episode with this this hacker that's obviously trying to throw someone off his scent while tr- trying to erase things. That's a big part of the episode, which I really liked. Like I said, I really liked how the Riddler was trying to make his own existence a riddle to everybody else. Right. Like erase his history. That first scene
2: at the ATM was the first scene for my screenplay. But the difference is, is that in my screenplay, this guy's like, hey, what's going on with the stupid ATM? Fuck the stupid ATM. And suddenly, <laughs> the stupid ATM starts spitting money at him. And he's like, oh, my God, this is fantastic. But of course, the Riddler wouldn't do that. What the Riddler would do is he'd make a joke in your face, and then he would make your balance go down to zero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love that. That was great. But that was pretty really good. The opening gag was the opening gag in my screenplay. By the way, how much did John Glover hit that character out of the park? Uh,
0: I I cannot stress how much I love his Riddler performance. He is absolutely incredible. What I love about his Riddler is that as much as I love different interpretations and like Batman 66 obviously is is one interpretation. Frank Gershon did a great job as this like eccentric, like giggly, like, like almost like a puppet Riddler, right? Like he's on like strings, like a marionette but I adore, like, a very intelligent, well-dressed, sinister genius.
2: Yeah, he's he is a cerebral character. Frank Gorshin played the character maniacally, and a friend of mine pointed out his performance as the Riddler was the perfect Joker. What well, influenced Mark Hamill? Well, there you go. So um, here's the thing. In Batman and Robin... No, in Batman Forever, they had the Riddler, and the performance was based on Frank Gorshin, 100%. Obviously. And what he was doing was based on the animated series. So all that virtual reality stuff that came from our episode. And the idea—that's idea what of I wanted to ask you if you noticed that because I thought that it, too. Well, yeah. Here's the thing: at the end of the episode, they turned his brain into tapioca. Huh. Interesting. The murder, they're in the movie. said that as research, he goes, because because I was I, he did the shark movie once and he was he spoke afterwards and, uh, and he goes, well, you know, I love working in an industry where I can sit down and watch Batman cartoons and uh, it's research. And afterwards, I go, well, um, you know, I wrote the Riddler episode. He goes, oh, well, um, you know, I didn't really, you know, watch the show. Um, (laughs) 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 That pedals like a motherfucker.
0: But that's what the the 90s, like all the cartoons, that's what they uh, moved into the superhero movie, like, genre that we know now. Like, if Spider-Man, right? Spider-Man the Animated Series, there are so many elements from that series that are used in Sam Raimi's Spider-Man movies. It's like they uh, they used the exact scripts at one point and same with x-men the animated series there are so many elements of that cartoon that they took storylines and bits from and put into those first three movies it's it's crazy
2: well yeah but a lot of the source material a lot of the x-men animated series was based on the source material so there it really is you know it's sort of a it's like the snake eating its own tail so you know yeah, they're influenced by what we were doing, but we were influenced by them. That being said, if you look at what they did in those two Batman movies that Joel Schumacher did in Batman Forever, the way they got rid of the Riddler was they turned his brain into tapioca. So they owe Marty and I got big thank you because all the way that they all of the computer stuff they did was based on what we did. Um, what they did with Two-Face at the end, where Batman throws the, all the, the coins in the air, and and so he doesn't know what to do because he can't find his coin. That came right from Michael Reeves. Yeah, it did. So
0: they owe Michael Reeves a big thank you. Se- second and, Chance, the name of the episode. It was a great episode.
2: Yeah, and then, and then for um, uh, Batman and Robin, if you look at who Mr. Freeze is in terms of his wife and and everything else, that's all Paul Dini. Yep. You look at Poison Ivy and the fact that she's like an eco-terrorist, that's Paul Dini. Yeah. So they owe Paul Dini a huge debt of gratitude for that movie. By the way, how how stupid was it that in uh, Batman Forever, they spend a lot of time giving an origin to the Riddler? Who doesn't need an origin? He's like, he's a given, okay? He's a maniac who likes puzzles. Okay, got it. And they they introduce a really wonderfully complex villain in Two-Face. And his origin is done in one shot. Yeah, yeah, on the TV. He's the guy you spend 20 minutes showing how he became who he is. Because he's the guy with the story. But no, they give the story to uh to this character who absolutely positively doesn't need an explanation. Yeah, do you're we, so right. Do we need to know how someone becomes the Riddler. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah,
0: and even, you know, even in uh, if you're so smart, why you're rich, the Riddler's origin's done very quickly, right? So they can just get into it. And I know you've got 22 minutes to to compete with writing a script, but regardless of that you 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 don't need to tell a lot of story whereas two-face he's got two parts to his origin in the animated series because there's so much to that character and look at all the comics and where he's come from like the long halloween there's an amazing harvey Dent to two-face story in that book yeah it's it's interesting because all of these movies that we're talking about all have elements that we like about batman that are in there but it doesn't stick the landing but the animated series, as you said at the beginning of this, is the definitive version. And you're so right. And it's why it's stood the test of time, and why people are still watching it. It's why people are doing podcasts about it and talking about it still, because they just nail it perfectly. And not only retell mm-hmm. stories from their comic their comic days, but also they've they've come up with new characters and new stories as well that have have
2: really stood the test of time. Well, they also greatly benefit from the fact that they were able to do so many of them yeah. because you had 95 stories, you had 95 opportunities to explore different facets of the characters and of Batman himself. So, whereas the movies give you one single two-hour experience every couple of years, we had the luxury of time of having to tell so many different stories. And when you have to tell so many stories, when you have so many episode slots to fill, um, it presents you with an opportunity to explore, and, and that's where Paul Dini's genius in the series was. He would explore the psychology of these characters. You know, well, um, let's let's talk about Paul Dini real quick because you worked on Lockup.
0: Right. You yes. co-wrote Lock Up, which is a Paul Dini creation. What yes. uh, What can you tell us about working on that episode with what did Paul Dini give you notes? Like what was the story? What did you add to the the script itself? Uh, you know, where where were you and where was Dini and where was
2: Marty, I suppose, in, the, in that whole process? I'll give you chapter and verse on it. That's the, <laughs> episode, that's the episode that I feel the, is the most me because Marty did the first two episodes. He was he was he wrote What is Reality? and uh his silicon Soul. i had written a bunch of episodes of x-men he had written batman and we said hey why don't we you know why don't we switch and so he wrote a two-part episode of x-men where they're in the savage land and it's a wonderful story in the meantime i took the batman story and so we went in and we had a meeting with paul dini and paul dini's like hey we want you to write an episode for us and he goes okay here's the story at arkham asylum They have a guard who can keep everybody inside, only he's insane. And now Batman has to stop him. And we're like, that's brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. So um, we came up with, you know, the structure of the story. And I wanted to call the character Deadbolt. (laughs) <laughs> it's but a good name man i like that I, name i wanted to call him deadbolt and i'm like paul can we call him deadbolt and he's like well i'll think about it and then i called him a few days later hey uh can we call him deadbolt and he's like no the name of the character is Lockup. and i'm like all right it's, uh, i'm not gonna fight you on the point i just i think deadbolt's a much better name
0: it's um i agree it's a better sounding name it sounds more sinister it plays into his like obsession with locks and like locking people up and how he's talented at doing that uh shit man i kind of like deadbolt a
2: bit more just personally and uh, and and the episode is called lock up my title was cage without a key that's pretty good too that and and that line is in this is in the episode but the idea is that you know this this guy's mind is a cage without a key he's okay so i based the character can can you tell the character that's based on what you you know what his Performance, not his performance, but the 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 character himself. What influenced that character? No, I can't. He's based, he's based in a movie character. He isn't based on him, but he's greatly, largely inspired, particularly thematically, by him, Travis Bickle in Taxi Driver.
0: Oh my God! Oh yeah. my God! That makes so much sense
2: now. Wow. And there's okay. Scene where he's looking at a TV set and he just pushes it over. And that comes from Taxi Driver, where he's 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 watching TV and he's got a gun. He's, he's I don't remember if it was a gun or if he's pointing his finger like a gun, but he's he's pointing a gun at the TV and tipping the TV with his foot, and then he just pushes it over and it explodes. Yeah, <laughs> and it's yeah. Like, oh, I gotta use that. Oh, I gotta use that. <laughs> so he's he's based he's he's basically Travis Bickle. The idea of using a prison ship. Mm. You know where that came from? No. Great Expectations. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. ships called the Hulks, and they were using them as floating prisons. And I'm like, I oh got to use that someday. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I like all of this. It's just like a checklist where you're like, okay, yep, I've oh, gotta yeah, I've got to use that. I've got to use that. I mean, that that's what good writers do, to be honest with you, is they, they're influenced by pieces of work, and they're like, I want to have that in mind. But they, they tweak it, and they change it to make it their own. I like it.
2: And I also like the idea of Batman fighting in a sinking ship. I'm like, I'm like, oh, we got to do this. We got to yeah. do this. And there's this shot at the end where they're facing each other and the ship is going down, and, there's and they're on the hull. Yeah, it's yeah. great. And uh, and I based that the, the imagery there is based on The Dark Knight Returns. It's oh, like I really cool. feel like that. Um, but here's here's what I love about the episode is people think Batman is driven by a need for revenge and the need to take it out on these bad guys. He's out there to beat the shit out of the bad guys and throw them in jail. And over time he becomes a more and more violent, grim, vengeful, he's the voice of vengeance. He is a, he is a vengeance demon. And I'm like, that's not, that's not Batman. That's not my Batman. It isn't. So in this episode, you see somebody who is, what people think of when they think of Batman? Yeah, of course. A psychotic, violent. He's out there to. He's out there to punish crime, and in that episode, you see that Bruce Wayne is actually a compassionate person. Yeah, and he doesn't want to beat these guys up. He has empathy for them. He he. If he had his druthers, they would all be better they would all get better yeah um he's as violent as he needs to be you know what he's not vindictive he's not yeah. punitive he is practical and what he's trying to do is make the world safer for people and toward that end well you know he's in situations where violence is is necessary i mean he gets in fights but he doesn't walk into a bar looking for a fight okay he's oh he heroes always try to find the 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 least violent way to deal with things Uh, it's it's what they're pushed into it's how they get pushed into a corner and what they do once they're pushed there but they don't go in looking for a fight you know who goes in looking for a fight wolverine Mm. wolverine and that's that's my difference with uh with with hugh jackman is you know his version he's not looking for a fight john burns wolverine loves a good scrap And he says over and over, oh, good, thank God. You know, finally, something I can put my claws into. he's, He's looking for a fight. But heroes don't do that. And Batman is a great hero. And so what I did in the episode was, okay, this is who you think Batman is. And this is who Batman really is. And the genius in the episode is that if you look at Lockup's costume, it mirrors Batman's. It's the same colors. He's wearing blue and black and gray with a little bit of yellow in it. Mm. And he looks, if you look at the two of them together, it's like, oh my God, they're their counterparts.
0: The only thing on Lockup's face that you can see is his eyes, whereas the, the thing on Batman is you can see his jaw, you can't see his eyes. So it's almost like the mask is reversed too, right? And
2: what they show and what they don't show. Yeah, in a way. Yeah, i, I, yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. But at one point, Lockup says, "You and I are the same," and Batman points out exactly why they're not the same. Yeah, I love I that line. The difference between the person everyone thinks Batman is, and they, you know, and they've gotten Batman wrong ever since The Dark Knight, because comics became dark and grim, and everybody did this race to the bottom with Batman to say, you know, well, how can we make him into the most violent leg breaker ever? And I'm like, no, that's that's not that's that's not who Batman is, not to me. Mm. So um, so anyway, that that episode, I love that episode because it, it was an opportunity in hindsight, because I don't know that we set out to do this, but what we did in retrospect was we defined Batman perfectly by showing who he isn't, and he's not the person that you think he is, because the person that you think he is, is Lockup. up. So, yeah um, I, I love that because all of his villains they're obviously
0: always some type of reflection of what Bruce Wayne could have been right like that's the whole idea but this yeah. one this one is a very particular one because it's the law which I really like I mean I guess the closest before that is Harvey Dent but he deals with courtroom stuff this is a guy that literally wants to police the world which is what an overcentuated Batman could want to do right is' just like, yeah. Just control the world through force and 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 control.
2: He's Batman taken to his logical into illogical conclusion. Yeah, you yeah,
0: know? I really like that. Well, he's yeah. um, sadly, obviously, only one episode for Lockup or Deadbolt, which I now kind of want to call him. But um sadly, only one episode for the animated series. But he is featured in the comics now. Uh, he was quite the a first bit. character
2: to make to be transitioned over to comics. He was—he transitioned before Harley Quinn did.
0: Yeah, it's amazing, isn't how, it? How goofy is that? Yeah, I, I know. And then obviously look at Harley Quinn, and then look at where Lockup is, and obviously there. Not that one is really well known, and one isn't. But
2: I really... Oh like yeah, you know. I think you're forgetting all those great Lockup movies that we had.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait! I can't wait to see that in the next Batman movie. I would dig if they threw in Lockup. as like just a quick cameo character in in a story if they can make it work. I think it'd be great. He's a great character. He's a lot of fun.
2: You know, what Paul Dini wanted to do at one point. He wanted to introduce Killer Mark Moth into the animated series. Interesting. He was. He wanted to have. Like there's a bank robbery, and it's like, you will all kneel before Killer Moth, and then Batman comes in and just decks him. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, he goes, Killer Moth, what next?
0: <laughs> I <laughs> like that like, though, you know. Yeah, it's like...
2: he was told he couldn't do it because because uh, um, Killer Moth has a lot of fans out there, and that's kind of a slap in the face to them. But. Right. How great would that be? <laughs> that would that would be good. I mean, there's there's some Paul Dini episodes like this
0: one where it's called uh, Make Him Laugh. And it's about the Joker rigging a uh, stand-up comedy contest. And uh, he basically poisons all these comedians' minds. And one of them believes that he's um, the condiment king, right? And he's got, like, ketchup and mustard guns. He's got, like, a dill pickle hat on. He's a complete... Laser villain throw away like when batman meets him he's like now listen mustard man and like punches him in the stomach right so maybe that's where paul dean got to have like that type of scenario it's obviously the not the same was
2: that, was that the episode with the same episode rat? yeah
0: same episode right like that's where he got to kind of have fun with that granted it's not existing dc characters but that could have been cool and but maybe that that's what
2: really really goddamn funny the pack rat he's like it's like he, he opens he opens this box with a, a, a diamond necklace in it and he throws it. He throws the diamond over his shoulder and he's like, he's holding this box as this <laughs> treasure. I am the pack rat.
0: I love he it. It will be
2: useful to me.
0: I would love to see these characters come back, you know, and like, empty your pockets. Now, I don't want your jewelry and your
2: money. I want like your lint and all yeah, these yeah, other yeah, things. Yeah. You have loose buttons. I love that.
3: It's, it's,
2: yeah, that's and that's, again, that's Paul Dini's, genius i mean yeah. he would come up with he he was wonderful at dealing with the psychology of the characters but also he would just come up with this awful wall shit i mean you know i, I used to tell people i hate paul dini he makes it look so easy <laughs> and then the fact that paul dini that bob skier said bob skier hates you and i'm like no no I hate <laughs> because it makes me look so easy it's it's that's not the same thing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, um, speaking of delving into the psychology of the characters, one episode which, uh, of the three that you did that really delves into the psychology of what it means to be Batman, in my opinion, and a standout episode of this series, especially upon a few uh, rewatches um, as I get older, I appreciate it even more as I watch it over and over again um, throughout the years, is His Silicon Soul. I love it because it really depicts who Batman is as a person, right? Like even a replicant, a robot that is pro that ultimately is programmed to like destroy the world still has enough of Batman's like core drive to not kill people. And it, it goes against his own programming that he literally can't handle it. And I just love that as an ending. So yeah, talk me through that, like, with with coming up with that episode. I know you said that it was you and Marty kind of 50-50 on that. But, yeah, like, what was that like right in that episode?
2: Well, first of all, it was a sequel to a two-parter uh, about a robot named Hardak. And so we were brought in to do a sequel. Um, I want to start by talking about the title, His Silicon Soul. Do mm-hmm. you know where that title comes from? I don't know. It comes from a Twilight Zone episode from around 1988, written by Alan Brennert, called Her Pilgrim Soul. Okay. And I loved that title so much. It just always stayed with me. And, uh, and so it became His Silicon Soul, because the premise of the episode ultimately was, if you have this robot, and it develops a conscience, and it is willing to sacrifice itself, does it have a soul? The final line of the episode in the script is, "It had a soul, Alfred, a soul of silicon, but a soul nonetheless. Yeah. And the network said, you can't do that. You can't say it has a soul because it's kind of like, you can't mention God or religion in these shows. Um, sure. Well, you know, talking about a, a robot having a soul kind of crosses into religious territory. And so BSNP was not comfortable with that they said you need to change this line and the compromise was it got turned into a question do you think it had a soul alfred a soul of silicon but a soul nonetheless right and to me like okay um michael reeves was the story editor and he hated that change hated 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 that change and i loved the change because it's better as a question. Yeah. And if you end it on a question, then that means the audience is left with something that they need to think about. Yeah. Because it's up to them to answer the question. And I absolutely love that. I, if, if I could have phrased it as a question to begin with, I probably would have done it if I thought of it, you know, it's like, Hey, you know, um, but the idea was that this thing became so much like Batman that it thought it was Batman And Batman couldn't take a life. And once he thought he took a life, he had no choice but to terminate his own existence. That's definitive on on Batman's part. Absolutely. Um, When we were first given the episode, okay, backing up. They did a two-part story called Heart Heart of Steel. Mm -hmm. And if you watch the episodes closely... If you watch the, the, the second part, they are very clearly leading up to, they were, they were, they were going to have a Bruce Wayne duplicate. And then it just doesn't happen. It's like, I thought we were heading in that direction and the episode's over. What happened? And what happened was they, they had this thought and then they just kind of abandoned it. It's like, well, you know, we're not going to do that. I don't remember if they were going to do it as a third episode or if it was just going to be the second half of the second episode. But they were going to do this. And it's obviously like, yeah, you know, have a big fight between Batman and a duplicate Bruce Wayne. Or, you know, because it has the brain of Bruce Wayne, it becomes Batman. I don't know what they were thinking they were going to do, but they didn't do it. But they were leading up to it. They called us in like, hey, uh, we did this episode about robots. Do you want to come in and do a robot Batman episode? And the first thought that we had was, Okay, we open up in a warehouse and Batman comes out and he gets shot in the chest and these wires come out and he goes back to the Batcave and says to Alfred, what haven't you been telling me? Right, okay. <laughs> and I just loved, I loved that image. I love that idea. I just love that whole thing. And, then, and you know, mostly I, what that's what happens in the episode. Besides,
0: instead of not, what have you not been telling me, it's more like what's happened to me, you know, and right. that... I mean, there's there's such graphic imagery in this episode, even for this show, which obviously kind of pushed the bar with what you can show. But, I mean, first of all, a guy laying into Batman with a bunch of bullets, right, like firing into his chest. You don't see it, but he is firing a gun at him, and then Batman yeah. looking down, and obviously his wires are everywhere. That's graphic in itself. It's, uh, it's the performance that Kevin Conroy gives in this as well, which is just we haven't even spoken about kevin conroy and how an amazing batman how much of an amazing batman he was and especially in this episode it's the tortured robot voice that he does such an amazing job at especially when he like he's begging alfred to be like help me and what's going on and like something's happened and i need your help i feel the like if i was alfred i'd be like i'm not sure if you actually are the real bruce wayne or not because you sound so scared and authentic it's
2: amazing Yeah, well, okay. Before we move on any further, this series I think of as the definitive Batman series and the definitive portrayal of Batman. Kevin Conroy, I mean, forget about it. He's Batman. Yeah. There's no other Batman. He is fucking Batman. Absolutely. Voice, you listen to the authority he has as Batman. He, he just has this, this gravitas to him. And then you hear his Bruce Wayne voice when he's putting on a Bruce Wayne voice for other people. Because mm-hmm. when he's Bruce Wayne with Alfred, he's got the Batman voice. So when he's like being mild, the mild Bruce Wayne, um, you know, like, like that's the mask. Yeah, absolutely. And, he already said that. Yeah. Did he ever win an Emmy for that? He probably didn't. He's he's going to live forever as Batman. He is yeah. he is absolutely fantastic, and uh, in the same way that I'm sorry to everybody who did brilliant work as the Joker, but there is Mark Hamill. Mm-hmm. And that's it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as we've done this
0: show, so I before we even started the show, my brother and I always always said that Kevin Conroy, Mark Hamill, those are the definitive versions, voices of those characters. But as we've done this show, we've delved back into these episodes. It turns out that all the voice actors are pretty much – no, not pretty much. They are the definitive voices of these characters. No one has done it better. Everybody in this show – brought their a-game from voice actors to producers to the writers you guys like to bring the the knowledge and the the love for this character in this world and to give us 22 minutes of pure entertainment as kids and not treat us as kids like when i was when i was watching this you know back when i was it started when i was six years old i started watching around that time and obviously as i got older i continued to watch as it went on and then i would go back and i'd rewatch it and i'd learn so much from it and you never treated us as children especially this silicon soul episode it has the fundamentals that make batman who he is is in it and you're not like hey kid we're going to do this but there's going to be silliness to it and it's going to be like jokey and don't worry and the robot's not going to be scary the robot is scary even now when i watch it like when he pulls off his face and there's this noise that kevin Conroy makes that I, it just sounds like pure torture but now as i'm like even as an adult like those themes and everything that is the reason that the show has lasted so long throughout time is because you didn't treat us like fucking children man you treated us like people like okay you're going to be able to get this and this is the, the story that we want to
2: tell I have always believed in writing up to the audience, not writing down to the audience. I always figured if you write over the audience's head, they will come up to meet you and they will be glad to be asked to do so. And so we never wrote down to them. I wrote the development to X-Men Evolution. I wrote the Bible. You know, Marty and I officially worked together. He was on Action Man at the time. And the greatest labor of love I've ever done was the the, the Bible to X-Men Evolution. And I wanted to treat the characters so seriously. And it was so different from the other X-Men series. Being a mutant was like being an African-American in pre-civil rights America. That's what the premise of X-Men, the animated series was. What we were going for in X-Men Evolution was being a mutant. You get your mutant powers when you reach puberty and you suddenly realize you're different from everybody else. And if everybody realizes who you are, who you really are, they're gonna reject you. They're gonna call you a freak. They're gonna hate you. So the thing that gives you power is also the thing that marks you as an outsider. That's being a mutant. That's being a teenager. So being a mutant was a metaphor for being a teenager, which is why it was perfect that we said it in high school and made them teenagers, as they initially were in the comics. You know, this was very much a back-to-the-egg kind of thing. Yeah. What we kept being told by the network was, well, yeah, but our focus groups show that our seven-year-old audience... Now, remember that our our seven-year-old audience... And by the time I heard that for the fifth time, I'm like, listen. I don't write for seven-year-olds. I I don't. I write for one person. I write for me. So I'm really sorry, but what you gotta understand is when we write this show, we're not going to be writing based on focus groups. And you know, I'm not going to try and figure out what seven-year-olds want. I'm going to write stories that interest me because I love the X-Men, and my love will translate to the audience. If I'm right, because, I, I, you know, I've written shows that are preschool shows, but I don't write down to three-year-olds. I write stories that I think are interesting, and I write at the top of my intelligence in a way that will not lose my audience, and there is a difference. I'm not catering to them. I'm... Making sure we don't lose them. Yeah. And so I for, think for Batman, it's the same thing. Uh, the kind of dark themes you're talking about, the kind of maturity you're talking about, it goes back to the conversation I had with Marty. Are we going to fight about these stories because they matter? And are we going to have the attitude that good enough is never going to be good enough? That we have to up our game on everything because these stories matter? And what was beautiful about Batman was. Was it for the first time ever, you had a Batman series that was being done not by professional cartoon writers, but by fans, by people who were as passionate about these characters. No one took these jobs because it was a chance to, to, uh, oh, good, I get get to write a script. You know, this is a job. It's like, no, everybody who was there was a labor of love. Every single writer, every single artist, all the directors, everybody fucking loved these characters with a passion that came through. And they had absolute reverence for the kinds of things that Denny O'Neill brought to the character when they made him a much more mature character, you know, when Neil Adams, like the two of them I think really brought Batman into adulthood. Like after you read the uh Rajal Ghoul issues and 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 the Man Bat issues and things like that, you were never going back to Adam West again. You know yeah. uh, all the silliness that was going on from the fifties and the sixties with Batman and Robin on the moon with these you know goldfish bowls on their heads and the the composite Superman who's half Superman and half Batman and what anyway right. all that silliness is out the window suddenly you're dealing with really you know serious stories a serious take on the character and then you have people like len ween coming in and they're like really uh, really good detective stories and you have people like you know marshall rogers and uh steve englard doing you know issues where it's like okay this is a batman being written by smart people and they're writing for a smart audience yeah i i couldn't agree more
0: man and with uh with going back to silicon soul for a second Because of the adult nature of that episode, I would say really adult themes, but the core of Batman, as I've said, it's really resonated with a lot of fans. And I don't know if you've seen, but there's a new toy line out for Batman, the animated series. They've been making all new action figures from the show for like a, you know, a modern day audience. Right. And your duplicate Batman is an action figure if you can see right there you can see you can replace the head you can see his guts are you know half robot half robot face Uh there's another look at it there he's even got the sword that he uses in the back cave there and like i love this so much there's even a pop figure of it as well
2: you know oh he's there no yeah yeah. Yeah. no (laughs) you obviously love my god i'm a funko yeah what is it called what number is it they
0: call him Batman Robot. That's what they call him.
2: All right, it's a one ninety three Batman Robot. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I love the episode very much. We um we catch up with Carl Rossum. We do, yeah. Voiced
0: and, by um, oh man, I've forgotten his name. That's terrible. But he's oh he's in loads William, of Western. William Sanderson. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. He's um he was in uh, Deadwood. Uh, he was great in that series. And he's been he was in Blade one. Runner. That's why we
2: used him. He's in Blade Runner. Yes. Sebastian was... in Blade Runner. That's yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, why, that's why we used him. I love the idea of him being a farmer because it's like, OK, you know what? I don't uh, I don't try to create life now. I just grow it. The yeah, that's of, great. I love the that. the idea that, that he's you know, he's leaving the cybernetics behind and going for the organics. But what's perfect about it is, is that meanwhile, he has robots working the farm. Yeah, can't help so the, himself. How would a guy like this, you know, if he was going to have a farm, how would he run it? Well, the tractors would have little antennas on it and they'd run themselves. There's a there's a bit in it where they're in a greenhouse and all the glass comes down and rains on Batman and isn't, a Karossum, isn't Rossum in there as well? He Rossum, Batman, and Robot Batman, yeah. And Robot Batman. Okay, so that was lifted from a movie oh yeah i mean every time you say this you're baiting me where i'm gonna go what movie was it there was a movie in the early 90s around the same time called the hand that rocks the cradle i've heard of it i've not seen it it's it's one of these kate fear kind of movies where you have um you know one character haunting another character to subvert their entire lives and so in it you have and i forget who the actors are It was a Cape Fear movie and it was really good. And there's one scene where somebody is in a a greenhouse and this woman murders her by making all the glass rain down on her. I've never seen a death quite like that in a movie. It was so horrific. I'm like, oh, oh, we got to use this. (laughs) (laughs) In a cartoon, I love it. I got to use this in a cartoon. Hey kids, (laughs) look at this.
0: I saw this in an R-rated movie once.
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. that's brilliant so, uh, so yeah that's like a lot of stuff a lot of stuff you know you you live from other places nobody only god creates ex nihilo out of nothing the rest right. of us we use this stuff around us and it isn't like i run around saying hey what can i steal what can i steal but there are certain things where it's like you know that can be useful or you know like like you know you regret expectations in ninth grade and you're bored out of your fucking skull But here are these things called the hulks, these these big prison ships. That's interesting to me. And so, you know, things percolate and things, you know. So, I mean, I don't run around going to the movies, you know, looking for things to grab. But but sometimes there are things that are just too good not to not to recycle. And sometimes there are things that are just they're just too cool to say, you know what? uh, You know, nobody's seen the, 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 the hand that rocks the cradle. You know, people are going to see Batman. People are going to appreciate this. So... um,
0: I mean, yeah. And if I ever saw, like, a movie or a TV show... And the hero is fighting another guy on a sinking prison ship. I'm going to be like, this is from Batman, even though obviously (laughs) it's referenced before that, but that's, what's going to resonate with me. Right. And I'm going to be like, you stole this from Batman, the animated series. Um, Is there anything that you guys wrote in these three scripts that didn't make the cutting room floor, any scenes that you remember that um,
2: you thought like, Oh, that would be good, but just didn't make the 22 minute cut. There was a, Okay, Bruce Weitz did the voice of Lockup, up And when he spoke, he spoke really slowly. And everything he said had gravity and gravitas because, he's, because, because he brought such weight to everything. And so because he spoke so, so slowly, I'm not sure if this is factual or not, but it feels like, okay, we lost a minute or two in the episode. There was a gag we were going to do where... Robin is looking around in Lyle Bolton's apartment, and that's where he finds the clue that leads them to the ship. Right. But he's looking through the the apartment, and at one point he goes into the closet, and the door slams shut and locks. And he goes, oh, great, I can see the headline tomorrow, Boy Wonder Outwitted by Closet. (laughs) That's uh, good, I like that that got that got uh that that didn't happen um i think it was it's an unnecessary beat right it's yeah just... sure but still a fun little line that would that
0: would happen and i like that like there's a lock on everything in lock up's house that's great that's cool
2: i absolutely love the line that i came up with for robin when they realize who lock up is and that he's the guy that uh that, that Bruce Wayne brought into, uh, to Arkham Asylum. I know exactly
0: like, what you're going to say. Cause he has a lot of sass in this episode. Right, uh, what's the line? What's the the line? line is, uh, I forget the exact line, but basically another villain brought to Gotham by the Wayne foundation. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and Batman looks at him like you son of a bitch. You know, like he gives him a look like, what did you just <laughs> yeah. say? And he's yeah. like, no, <laughs> kidding. I'm just kidding around. Like, Oh, I've just hit a button. I pushed a button there. You know, he's like, and Oh, he's I'm like- just, that's
2: a line a lot of lines come about because he's just having conversations with people so when marty and i were you know coming up with lockup he's brought in by you know by bruce wayne he, he funds this guy so it's like okay and he's basically he's another villain made possible by a grant from the and then i go oh wait no nah, no nah, we gotta use that, we gotta use that. <laughs> do you recognize that phrase no i don't that phrase actually comes from public television in america they have shows like, like, you know, like Channel 13 has like Sesame Street and they have like Nova. And so. um. Well, so they say like Brought to You By and then whoever's like sponsoring it. Is that what it is? Well, yeah. But but Brought to You By is like on commercial television where mm. the shows are run by advertising. But a lot of the shows on public television are funded by uh, viewer subscriptions because people send money to PBS. It's why every six months they come out and say they have these, 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 these pledge drives. Right. Like, hey, send us money, send us money. But a lot of the programming is done by corporations uh, as grants, as you know, like tax write-offs or whatever. So it's like, Nova is brought to you by the Chub Group. Right. I don't know what Chub Group does, but they fund <laughs> a lot of shows. And so, uh, so, so yeah, that's where that's where the headline came from. But uh, I just once I once I said that out loud, I'm like, oh my god, we gotta give this to Robin. We gotta <laughs> give this to Robin. Yeah, was a, it was a great line. There was a scene that I wanted to do in what is reality. I think this is one of the first times that we see Commissioner Gordon and Robin alone together.
0: Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Yeah, you don't Robin. usually see them alone
2: tends to be kind of irreverent in the series. Like, you know, he gives Batman a certain amount of, you know, he he kind of sticks it to Batman a couple of times, you know? Sure, he's a, he's a teenager, right? Like he's, he's going to, yeah, yeah. you know, he's not being mean. He's just being, he's being sassy enough to be clever. Yeah. So I had, uh, I had some point where I wanted to give Robin a moment where he, he's kind of a little sassy with Commissioner Gordon. Like, he, you know, he says something really kind of offhand. And Commissioner Gordon basically grabs him and says, listen, I'm putting a lot of trust in you. So, you know, don't be a wise ass with me. My neck is on the line. It was a, it's a wonderful moment, but, you know, they didn't want to play that moment. And I totally get it because you know it 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 makes them both seem a little like assholes. And- yeah, and without Batman there to be
0: like a parent in that situation, right? To like break it up or whatever. I mean, Robin does have quite a bit of sass in this episode. There, I can't remember what the other line was, but I was like, "Oh, Robin's two for two on the sass meter in this in this episode." When I watched it, he like has jabs at, at characters like Gordon or Batman. Which yeah. he usually doesn't, but I found that really interesting. So yeah, now I know. I
2: just, I just like the idea of him being a little irreverent because he's young, because he's kind of, you know, he's 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 coming into his power, you know. He's he's you know, he's gonna have an attitude. And sure. you gotta find a way to make him different from Batman because otherwise it becomes frickin' frick. Yeah. And something that Marty and I realized, and Marty really, really, you know, he's he's the one who really articulated this is if you're gonna use Batman and Robin split them up. The best use of them is to put them in different places mm. because they get their different personalities and their different ways of handling things. And it doesn't become, you know, the two of them playing off each other all the time. It becomes something better. So if you'll notice in the episodes that we did, when both of them were there, they spend a lot of time not in the same room together and yet can interact. So in the uh, virtual Ravi episode, Robin is always in contact with Batman, but they're not in the same place doing the same thing. And the same thing in lockup where, you know, Robin's out investigating and Batman's doing his investigation. And so we're having fun with each character and it doesn't feel at all redundant. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. I, I I love that. That's a really good point actually by separating them, you get to really explore more. Well, Bob, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show, man. Like I've, I've, I've learned so much from from not just Batman, but just, like, the journey that writers, uh, writers had to take back then to stories about um, X-Men that I've never heard before. Um, so it's been a real pleasure to have you, man. Thank you so much for coming on the show.
2: Well, thanks for having me. This, uh, this was a lot of fun. Um, as you can tell, I love talking about this stuff because... I just, I just love this stuff. It's, it's, it's important to do things that you just love and are passionate about. Um, your brother is an illustrator. He's a, he's a, he's a comic he's a, artist. Yeah, he's a comic book and, artist and writer. and writer. Yes, and he, he and he does it because he loves it. Yes. You
0: know? So, for I all mean, right, you know, right now, right now, he's under the gun with a lot of deadlines. So I don't know
2: if he loves it as much right now, but yes, ultimately, he does. It <laughs> yeah. and, and 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 that's the thing is you know you 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 have to. If you're going to if you're going to dedicate yourself to something, just uh, uh, find something that you're really passionate about and just put yourself into it, you know. Um, absolutely for having this podcast thank you very much for having me on and uh i'm hoping we get to talk again soon
0: yeah i think what we'll do especially because um, we'll get will involved as well when we come to um one of these three episodes um because we review episodes on the show we'd love to have you back on when we're talking about that particular episode and just focus on that and like delve into that delve into the detail because we'll watch it before we sit down and chat and kind of get more stories from you some extra details things you might have remembered or you know forgotten about until you see it but that would be awesome to have you back to review one of those episodes terrific looking forward to it cool well thank you bob for coming on and we'll see you soon hopefully all right see you then
3: well that was fun who's for chinese
0: all right so we hope you all enjoyed that interview there was so much stuff that robert talked about and i was just taking it all in because I mean, what's some, there's some really cool stories in there, but I really enjoyed that.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm a huge Taxi Driver fan. I have been it's always been one of my. It was my favorite movie for the longest time when I was like a teenager. Because I'm a fucking weirdo. But um, to know that Lockup is inspired by Travis Bickle is just really cool. And like, I never made that connection. And what, what he was saying about like how his costume is like Batman's and like they relate, like they're similar. That's some pretty neat behind the scenes stuff.
0: I totally agree. I loved all of those facts and it made me appreciate that character even more. And that character is a really cool character that you don't see a lot. I mean, he's in some of Paul Dini's The Batman Adventure Continues comics now. But the fact that we haven't seen him in any other iteration besides this cartoon is such a shame because, like you said, his his costume is even mirroring Batman's in a sense. He's got the same morals. He's just a more extreme version. And naming him Deadbolt, wanting to name him Deadbolt, I think that's a cooler name than Lockup. Personally, I,
1: I do. I think it's more memorable and and uh, punchy.
0: Yeah, it sounds more like a Batman. And, villain. Yeah, it's it's literally
1: a lock, you know.
0: Exactly, yeah.
1: It's a lock. Like, it's a lock. Come on, That's come on. he's deadbolt to me now. <laughs> uh,
0: and also, the uh, what I loved is him using old screenplays, like the screenplay he wrote where there was a PI going after a computer hacker, and he used that in what is reality, and uh, it's so I, cool.
1: On a much smaller scale, I totally get that. I've, I'm have i writing a book right now for IDW, and, and I've taken other pictures I've written in the past and picked from them to put into this. Uh, So I totally get that just always, you know, from a writer's point of view, take your favorite stuff that's the strongest and use it like don't sit and wait for it to happen somewhere else. If you think it's going to work for what you're about to put out, use it because that's going to be the example of what your current best work is.
0: Absolutely. And he was, you know, he was paying tribute to all of the other previous works that he loved, where he would pick out scenes, things he liked, like in The Great Expectations with the prison boat. And he's like, I'm going to use that one day. And he used it in Lock Up at the end. I love how he was just like cherry picking things. And that's what good writers do is they're like, this is something that influenced me, and I'm going to have it influence my work, but I'm going to tweak it and change it and yeah. adapt it enough where no one's going to go, hey, that's a direct ripoff. So it's a, yeah.
1: it's a homage, you know, Tarantino does it all the time. And- it's there's fine ways of doing it there's a there is a fine line between homage and just like complete knockoff like you look at the joker movie it is a knockoff of uh, taxi driver and um the comedian movie as well combined like it's yeah it's too close yeah it's not when when it's like you can like what like for instance it's like he had a little scene that's a node right that's that's it but if your plot points as the movie goes on are the same it's like the new star wars movie when it came out it was a new hope it's like all right we get it like you're (laughs) just ripping this off now you know like there's such a difference
0: yeah absolutely uh yeah so thank you robert for coming on the show it was an amazing chance to get to speak to you again we spoke to him previously on spider-man the animated series podcast if you wanted to go back and check that out it's episode 65 well will and i talked to him about the episodes he wrote for that show but this interview in particular because he had so much great information about all the episodes how they were written how they came to be all of the influence i really enjoyed that so i hope you guys did too Alright, bud, we're going to get into our only category of the day today because we're not reviewing an episode, but we can still do Ace the Bat Sound. <laughs> this is a game I play with my brother where I quickly play a theme tune that's for a character in Batman the Animated Series, and he has to tell me who the theme tune is for he gets even more points if he can tell me what happens in the episode and what the episode's title is so buddy are you ready for this theme tune i am okay now usually i play you a theme tune that is for a villain but today it's for someone else that's not a villain okay
4: oh dear
1: so you got it right away there so oh, i won't play yeah. the it's rest the of the great it. ghost buddy it's a, one of the best episodes i love it i mean so I, I, you want me to smurge about it for a sec it's got adam west as the guy who influenced freaking batman in the show which is just so fucking cool if you don't know adam west as he was the batman in 1966 oh my god it's a great episode great ghost it's cool it's kind of like him using the zorro in batman's origin story and putting it into this it's just such a it's really just good stuff
0: Yeah, even the flashbacks of little Bruce Wayne watching it with his dad and like he's loving it and then seeing it as a, you know, like a older Bruce. And I love how Alfred's like popcorn, sir. And he just is like eating popcorn and watching the show. And I'm like, that's what I do with Batman, the animated series. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. Um, So I do have a voice clip here that I always have just in case Will needs a clue. Obviously, he's guessed it right off the bat, but I'll play it for anyone at home just in case and also because I work hard on these
3: things, so I want to be able to share it. Hello? Yeah, it's me, Cy. Si. Bad news, you didn't get the part.
2: I need to work, Frankie. Get me something. You're my agent.
3: I try, Cy. Si.
2: I really do. But they still think of you as the Those who remember. I can do other parts. I'm an actor.
3: I know, son. Si. Hey, we've been through this before. Something will come up. Just hang in there, okay?
0: So the reason is uh, because he said the name. You look to me like, why is the Metal Gear noise in there? Yeah. Because he said Grey Ghost, so I didn't want
1: to, like, obviously have... It was have so to- louder than the like the <laughs> regular <laughs> thing as well. Uh, well, that woke you up, but yeah, love uh, that kind of makes me want to play Metal Gear Solid now. Dang dang
0: it also makes me want to watch Beware the Grey Ghost because I love that fucking episode. All right, bud, top marks for that one. Okay, our final category of the day is what you're doing with your life, buddy. What are you watching, reading, listening to, thinking about? What gets your juices pulped?
1: Well, I've been working really hard, so I'm kind of working from nine to nine currently. um I've been having the show. Com- uh, what's it called? Uh, convenience store or something like that? I can't remember. What? It's, superstore. I don't know it's like a it's a subpar comedy that's like a a B a B minus uh version of Parks and Recreation I'd say maybe okay. a C plus at times but it's it's fine background stuff but uh, I just recently watched all of Barry. Yeah, you did. That's right. Yeah. What do you think? Uh the first season I wasn't too impressed. I did like like the one thing I liked from the first season was um just how awful his girlfriend truly is, like secretly, and so selfish, and so self-centered. Um, but like the the story, and I like the idea of like a, a hitman using his uh, trauma for his acting. And as it played out, but it just seemed a bit not refined yet. It, I could tell that it was some. It wasn't like a full on. We know what we're doing. It was just put together. And then season two rolled around and it got a little bit better. And there was some more interesting stuff. But season three was really good. Season three was really well put together. There were some amazing episodes in it. The episode where he's being shot at on a dirt bike, I thought was one of the greatest chases I've ever seen in my life. Like, yeah, And the sound design in that, there's a shot when they're driving through the cars on the motorway and you hear when the, the car the bike's going through the cars that reminded me of star wars episode one with the pod races where i was like this is like really great sound design i still i've read a whole paper on that that one pod racing scene when i went to university because it is some of the best sound design ever like the sound of those engines and there's it's one of the rare times in star wars where there's no music playing at all during an action scene oh that's a good and point. it's just pure engines and things turning and people going Row! and stuff like that it's just
0: that was a very great. good impression of that one alien that makes that noise <laughs> <laughs> you know the one yeah there's i know the other
1: exactly one that, there's one that's like, yeah. i like yeah uh, and then finally Bado! Bado. <laughs> um. Yeah. So, yeah, I really enjoyed that. And I thought that um, the story got more interesting in season three. It started reminding me more of the dark comedies that I really enjoy that are a bit smarter, like Patriot. Um, There's uh, Perpetual Grace as well. I like when it's it's funny, but clever, where I feel like the first two seasons weren't clever. They were just funny. And it's, it got to that point now where it's clever as well. So I appreciate that.
0: Well, we got a new season of that show coming in less than a month. It's coming out next month. I saw season four of Barry. So you won't have to wait long.
1: Yeah, I know. Which is weird because, I mean, season three pretty much felt like the show ended. So I don't know really know where it's going to go. Mio,
0: uh, yeah, I love in that show. You know what episode, because we talked about this off pod, is the episode where he has to go and kill that like karate master and his little girl is just this like vicious little demonic, like fighting machine. And yeah, she's feral. Yeah. And I love how she's on the roof at one point And they're like, <laughs> just staring at her.
1: No, just... she's like, she's bitten to his cheek and they're just like, still like, don't move. It's just an amazing
0: piece of television. I love that episode. so Yeah. Much.
1: The, as the show goes on, there's a lot better cinematography that starts to happen as well. So yeah, I just, I started to appreciate it, So I am definitely looking forward to more of it
0: yeah absolutely so i watched a film called women talking which is a film that just recently came out not so long ago and it's kind of like 12 angry men but it involves obviously the core characters are all women and it's about them being in a room talking about how they're going to leave this cult that they're a part of are they they either going to stay and fight the men or are they going to leave and those sounds good it's really good. And like Claire Foy, who plays the queen in the first two seasons of The Crown, is in it. She's very good. Light loads her. of other, Yeah, loads of other people you'll recognize. And it is just people mostly, these women in a room talking, but it's so engaging and it's really good. And there are so many amazing parallels to just what's going on in the world now and the way that they present it. And the way that I love sometimes where you can deliver a message just in a few few lines you know what i mean where it's just so powerful and just so on the nose but also like presented in a way you've never heard before you're like fuck that was just brilliant like i looked over at my girlfriend a few times and i was like that is the best way you could possibly put that scenario or say or comment on that scenario i thought it's amazing so what did you watch this on um i'm not going to say (laughs) okay so yeah if anybody hasn't seen that or uh, doesn't know about it women talking is a very good movie highly recommend it if you feel like something like a drama that's obviously got a lot a lot of weight and yeah it's just a brilliant film and then obviously we've got mandalorian which recently had its latest episode where it started out strong and then they kind of got a bit
1: man and about it which uh I've, yeah. I've seen the meme going around of the andor inside of the text. It's true. It wasn't it wasn't very good. It was yeah. not a good episode.
0: It wasn't. And you know, if you liked it that's great. You probably also like Andor or maybe you don't. Maybe you just like this but I thought it was a real departure from the vibe of the whole show and like what we're there for. Um and I, and if, I it was unnecessary,
4: right?
1: Yeah, well my problem was is that I do find it interesting these people that once were um imperials like being put back into modern society. I was like, this is cool. This is what you see well no one ever really talks about. It. It's all those like people that were vaguely in the Nazi party going back into society and figuring out, hey, are you still a Nazi? Like, right, do you still have like where do your like loyalties lie? I find that stuff really interesting, but I don't think Mandalorian was the show to do it because no. the Mandalorian is it's a space western it's an action adventure show it's like if in the middle of indiana jones there was a scene where they were like trying to figure out if the whatever's hidden in the cave actually exists but they're walking through an office building like uh, an office building should not be in star wars in my opinion at all like when i see those cubicles it makes me fucking cringe i'm like (laughs) i don't want to see like Cubicles and Star Wars. Like, Do you
0: think they've got like an annoying boss like in the movie uh, Office Space? He's well, like, yeah, I'm going to need you to come on, I- come on in this Tuesday Day or whatever they're like.
1: Oh, oh that, dr- that that made me sick in my mouth because it's literally. <laughs> Star Wars' version of "I Hate Mondays" or TGI Fridays, (laughs) and the fact, like the fact that it was a made-up day, actually insulted me. I'm like, you could have just made it all once. Like, you already have people like fucking doing other stupid shit in the Star Wars universe that is connected to ours, like the stupid people riding on the. The mods, the mod squad in Bo- Book of Boba Fett. Oh right, yeah, that's right. The uh, the Power Rangers basically hated it. Oh, we're so thirsty, but at least we can afford these designer clothes. Like fuck off, hate that shit. <laughs> if um, if, like why have like the office version of it? I I hate that because you have all this other stuff. Like I liked when he was speaking in front of um everybody in the Senate. Yeah. I was like, this is great. If, and the, afterwards, he chats to all those people. I was like, this is Super Clone Wars. Like, I feel like I'm watching a... What's the name of... Padme? Padme, thank you. Because there's so many episodes with Padme like dealing with the politics in yes. that universe. And that's what I think that this episode should have felt like, is a Padme Clone Wars episode. But it really was like the vibe of Andor, which I personally loathe. So like them trying to inject that into to my space western and honestly i'd had such a bad day on wednesday i worked my fucking ass off i've been working all day i didn't finish until nine thirty at night i hadn't eaten for hours and i just wanted to watch mandalorian and it starts with an amazing tie fighter scene I was mm. like, this is exactly what i need right now i just turn my brain off and see pew 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 that's the content I'm looking for in the show. To then have fucking these people saying, "Fluke day," am I right? On a on a train and avoiding like a robot to pay their ticket was so bad, and oh, I hated it.
0: Anyway, yeah, Getting
1: a bit too hot there. I need to turn my <laughs> dial a bit down. There we go. No, I and, I if, you. and if you liked it, that's fine.
0: <laughs> he looks blankly at the wall yeah i i get you man like it it really did suddenly change gears and i was so excited at the beginning because that intro was really strong i was like this
4: is now this is palm racing oh, right you're like this some, is great
1: i think the the budget on the action and, and this this uh, season? season thank you has been incredible like all of the the action and flying and stuff has been really expensive looking you know
0: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um all right, and the final thing was The Last of Us Ended. We don't have to talk about it loads. I know you have your issues with the ending. I didn't know what the ending was, so when I saw it, I was I was not overwhelmed. I wasn't underwhelmed. I was just whelmed. I was like, okay, that's the end, but I really did feel like it was too short of an episode, kind it's of wrapped up quickly. Way
1: too short. It's uh, that my problem with that show quickly is it's I think it was Starting out really good, but then I, for some reason they just said, "Well, this is not a zombie show. This is a this is a show about loss." And I'm like, "That's fine as a theme, but the point of the show is that you're taking this girl who could be, you know, it cannot be infected by the undead, which is the big threat that ended the world, and then you take that threat away where they're barely around, and when they are around, they're like in hordes of like 500." Like they're almost like um, tremor worms or something like that. Where yeah, it's like they're barely around, but when they are, you're like, ah, oh, it's a big worm. Like that's that's. I just hated that. Like the 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 game is full of zombie threats and human threats, and it, it is an action game and. Uh, as much as i liked the drama in the show, and su- some stuff was done really well, episode three, I still think it's one of the best episodes of television I have ever seen, mm-hmm. because it was just a w- one and done, compact love story in the zombie apocalypse, which is exactly what I'm trying to do with my book, Outbreaks, is just do different types of stories that in the zombie apocalypse. But it just, taking away the threat of having zombies around all the time made Ellie's character not seem as important. Like, yes, like the, to find the cure through her. Like, they're like, we can save the world. It's like, well, seems like everything's okay. If two guys had a uh, wired fence up like for 20 years and nothing busted through that except for a couple of raiders once... I don't think it's that bad outside. You yeah. know what I'm
0: saying? Well, and also, the, if there's a couple that lives in a cabin out in the woods, and they're like, we don't see anything. We're fine out here. I'm like, yeah. For real?
1: It's like, the, the Walking Dead, if you had a freaking wide fence up, that shit would be down in like episode two. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like, the, the walkers broke through two layers of fence at the prison, just by busting into it. So, yeah. I just thought that that was, that was lacking. And then also, the episode being so short, like, I, I didn't even think they were going to do that ending the thing that annoyed me was it was way too short. Like it was just something like, oh, oh, she's going to die. And I've got to save her. Pew, pew, pew. Okay. I got you out of there where that part in the game, there's been such a build up to it and such momentum to get to the point where Joel chooses this girl over the fucking human race. And it's beautiful. And you're actually rooting for him to do it in this show. I was not rooting for him to do that. I was like, you're a terrible person. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And also by the time it was happening, there, was no, there wasn't enough weight to it for me personally because I wasn't invested in these characters anyway. But if they spend a bit more time developing that weight where when he does make that decision, but because it happens so quickly, which I guess in real life it would, but this ain't real life, this is TV. But if it took its time a bit more, I would have then been like, oh, this is actually happening. Like some sort of internal struggle with him, something to be like, this is what I need to do. Because yeah. by the time he's done it, you're just kind of like, oh, okay. And then... That, that doesn't really raise the stakes for me in that scenario. I'm just like, oh, he's killing especially, everyone and that's it.
1: Especially in a show where you, you spend, how many episodes was there? Eight, nine episodes? Yeah, nine. And two episodes were side stories where it was, one was the story of Bob, which is an amazing episode, but doesn't really drive the plot forward. And two is the origin story of why Ellie is and her relationship, which is another poignant part of the story. But when you have such a limited run of time, and you focus on those things it makes you less focused on and we don't else.
0: we don't need it fairly like i know where she ends up so i don't need to know that yeah like, i
1: think that could have been a, a better cold open for an episode like like they did in this final episode with the mom uh giving yeah. birth to her which by the way is not in the game and i don't think is necessary at all i don't need to know that she like how she is so basically
0: uh, she's blade right
1: Yeah. Oh my god, yes, you're exactly right. She is blamed. But I didn't need to know that. Here, I I kind of as we've been talking, I think I figured out my problem of why this the game works and this doesn't. In the game, when Joel goes to save Ellie, it's he's doing it to save Ellie. Where in the show, it feels like he's doing it for himself because he cannot live without Ellie. And he uses Ellie as an avatar for his own grief and loss and so it's a selfish move for him to kill everybody where in the game it feels like i'm choosing to save this person that i love over the human race right instead of like i'm choosing my own self-interest and preservation instead of the human race
0: yeah yeah um so if you guys felt any different about any of the things we spoke about and if you disagree well we kind of don't want to hear from you, but <laughs> if you if you feel compelled, if you've got to tell us, then um, you can always email us at batmantaspod at gmail.com, or find us on socials at batmantaspod or at batmantaspod1 on Twitter. Buddy, I want to give a shout out to one of our fans real quick before we head out, because this particular fan has been listening to our show and has enjoyed our fan casting episode so much, where we fan cast people in the Batman the Animated Series universe. We've had uh, loads of characters so far, and the first one that he's drawn is Nick Offerman as Commissioner Gordon. Now, I shared this with you, bud. What do you think of it?
1: I think it's awesome, and it really is like seeing him with the classic outfit and hair really solidified that choice. You know, It's like, oh, wow, look, it's Gordon
0: absolutely i agree so uh, his name is tk adams and tk has said to me through messages because he shared this with us that he'd love to do more so anyone out there if you guys want to see there's going to be hopefully more to come from tk but if not go check out his commissioner gordon his nick offerman inspired commissioner gordon which was from our fan casting so if you go to t.k underscore Adams that's Underscore Adams you can check out his commissioner Gordon and also all the other art he's done as well because he's done some really cool stuff so thank you TK for doing that I cannot wait to see more of our fan casted Batman the animated series characters like Miles Teller's Batman that might be coming soon which would be Mm. awesome and loads of other characters so that is awesome thank you TK yes thank you so much and thank you so much to our guest, Robert N. Skier, for coming in today. It was so great to be able to talk to you and get all of that information. And I can't wait to be able to talk to him again in the future on one of the episodes once we review it. Yes. All right. That's all the time we've got for this week. Join us next time where we'll continue talking all things Batman, the animated series. Until then, I've been Alex Robson.
1: I've been Will Robson. And
0: remember that we are vengeance. We are the night. We are a podcast. Oh,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a working man. Let's get this shit on the road. Such your son of a bitch
0: fucking the time that we agreed upon the moment it turned that time
3: you're like no the 5 minutes <laughs>
1: no i <laughs> said i said let's get going in 20 minutes and then you said so 12:40 but i messaged you at like 12:25 so i was 23
0: 12:23 like, uh, uh, uh,
1: there's a big difference there you're saying we're meeting in 17 minutes i'm saying we're meeting in 20 minutes and i was here pretty much at 12:43 so i was right mm, debatable you claim we remember well, why don't you just fucking
4: deal with it?
1: Can you hear that? Hmm? Yeah, I can hear that loud and clear. C-U-N-T. <laughs> What's that spell? My brother.
4: All right, you ready then, you big fat smelly cunt? Fat. <laughs> <laughs> oh.
0: Of all of the ones I just insulted oh. you, that's the word?
3: <laughs> yes, I'm big. <laughs> I'm smelly. <laughs> I am a cunt. I am a cunt. <laughs> Man, that's offensive. All
0: right, F- Fatty McPaddy, let's do this. Fatty, <laughs> yeah. we go. Fatty, we go.
4: Yeah, we all are in some ways. You in a lot of ways as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Last night I had pizza and donuts for supper, and beer. <laughs>
3: yeah. Went full Homer Simpson. <laughs> I had
0: a slice of cheese for supper. I even like I was laying on the sofa, and at one point I like it was only briefly, but I had the can on my stomach as I was looking at my phone. I was like, "Oh my god, this is the biggest Homer Simpson move because my beer can is resting
1: on my stomach." That, that well, the one of the benefits of being fat is you have like this extra shelf to put items. <laughs> shelf. And, like, you, like, like you can put your phone there when you're busy doing something. Eat a bowl of spaghetti on the sofa, just put it on your tongue.
4: <laughs> I just to see you as this is from the side profile, just like this stomach with this bowl on top. And you just it's like a, it.
0: a strand of spaghetti. Like <laughs> <laughs> but the bowl is barely far enough away from your chin,
4: like because your stomach is bunched up <laughs> so much that it's basically right underneath your chin. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, know, like and dog. I breathe. I breathe out to tip it, and so you can like drink the <laughs> <of> cereal. <laughs> Don't even need my hands anymore. <laughs> I've stopped
3: using my legs years ago. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, fat jokes. I'm fat anyway. Let's move on.
3: All right, let's do this.